This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. Recorded show this week. Uh, working on getting everything to where he can do stuff live on location very shortly, uh, which I'm excited for. But uh, I'm currently at the Red River, hopefully not stuck on a sandbar or stump or lodged on a wing dam. All three of those are very likely possibilities. Uh, but I thought I wanted to get on, you know, the, the uh, pro circuit just wrapped up. There were some big announcements coming uh, last week from MLF about the... Uh, the, I guess, formation, morphing, transformation. I don't want to say it's like new, but it's gone from the uh, FLW Tour to the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, and now it is the MLF Invitationals. Uh, and I thought, man, who would be a good uh, veteran angler who's who's been through it all? I think he was even there. He might have started in 2000. Was that, it might have been the heyday where they had the fanny packs on the guys with the battery packs and the boom mics. And like the as he's shaking his head, no, I guess that was pre. That was pre Matt Stefan, who is our guest today. It's a, the uh, the third time that you've been on BTL this year, becoming a BTL regular. Always enjoy our conversations with Matt Stefan and his uh, uh, mental coach too, Katie Gruber, who was on last time. But uh, Matt, I thought it would be a very timely time to get you on uh, on BTL. Twelve year veteran of the FLW tour mlf pro circuit and i also thought you had a very interesting year this year you might have some reflections that our listeners and viewers can learn from what's up dude hey matt thanks for having me on it's been a wild last couple of weeks with all of the uh different news you know how the sport is man it's like the off season happens and it's rumorville and you always know right before the you know the actual news comes out it's like i'm getting five or six calls from guys what do you think what are you hearing and it just i mean it's it's like it's a stressful period cuz you don't know and you hear everything like in this case with with the news with mlf you know you some guys are like well they said it's gone they're taking it away completely other people are like no nothing's changing plus they're adding four tournaments and there's going to be like you know on championships you never really know but all of the board yeah, so it's it's a stressful time period where you know you want to be dealing with off season stuff, your sponsors and getting boats and all that, but it's hard it's hard to do any of that when you don't even know what's what's happening, right? So yeah, uh, yeah, I can't say I was super pleased with the meeting. We'll get into that. We'll get into that later. I mentioned sure. you were shaking your head. No, you were not for the. Do you remember that FLW period where it was all crazy camera angles? They had the boat that had the big boom camera on it that like hung over the side of the boat, and then the guys had to wear the the fanny packs with the six pound battery cases in it and yep. fish, and it was like a whole production on the water. 
Yeah, I was I was right after that. I got to the point where they they started putting camera guys right in the boat. But yeah, it's been this was my twelfth season, so I've seen a lot of change. And unfortunately, I can't sit here and say that I've ever had one off season where either you know entry fees went down and payouts went up or payouts went up with an you know like a legitimately something that really truly excited me. So I'm kind of fearful for the sport as a whole. And I know MLF in this case will probably say, well, they lowered entry fees, but you know, that's a lot of that's based on last year. They said they raised entry fees, specifically the $5,000 for us to cover uh, live coverage all four days. And then they cut the tournaments down to three days this year. So, or for next year. So it's, it's one of those things where they technically reduced entry fees, but it, it was based on a raise from last year that wasn't even payout related. A lot of logistics, a lot of logistics yeah. going on. You know, fishing is an interesting professional fishing. Let's say the top level of professional fishing is interesting because if you take like the big, let's take the big, uh, the big sports like football, basketball, hot, like, okay, there'll be some like rule tweaks, right? Like they might take the, the, uh, two line pass out of, uh, out of hockey to, to open it up more, put the trapezoid deal behind the net so the goalies can't go out and play the pucks they added a three-point line in basketball a long time ago they changed the rules a little bit in football as far as targeting or how many feet you have to have in but as a whole it's like you know what the season is you know how many games it is it does has not changed over the course of time dude fishing has changed a lot and morphs a lot and continues to change a lot i mean it's impressive you know the elite series started in 2006 this was the 16th, 15th, 16th year of the Elite Series, called the Elite Series under kind of the same format. Now, they've had little changes as far as majors and how you qualify and postseason stuff. But that 16-year span is like by far in the 50 to 60-year history of this tournament sport, the most stable it's been. Yep. Everything else around it, I mean, you're talking invitationals, top 150s. You look at how the FLW Tour has done things with zeroing weights and cutting and brackets and name changes. This thing changes and morphs, it seems, every two to ten years on all the different circuits. It's just interesting to me how they're had. And then you take the MLF and the BPT, and that totally changed the game. It's weird how many changes there are over a short amount of time you think that's just because the the sport's new or do you think it's because we haven't found the right mix yet or what do you think the reasoning is behind that matt you know i I think i think it's all business right so what they're what all the organizations are trying to do is set themselves up for very good future prospects and the the reality is right now the sport is a tough place to grow and i think a lot of it has to do with our our audience is only hardcore tournament bass fishermen and it's not I just had this conversation the other day with Kyle Cordiana uh, and, you know, it's we don't we don't have a sport where you have like a city behind it. Right. So, you know, I grew up in Chicago. We had the Cubs. The Cubs were always the lovable losers. If you were a diehard Cubs fan, you watch the game. But I'll tell you what, when you get when the Cubs are good, that city is crazy. And you have 10 million new Cubs fans because the Cubs are doing good. We don't have that in fishing. Like, you know, when somebody goes on a heater and you get like Kevin Van Dam back in the days when he was just winning everything, that was probably when you start getting the most, you know, that was an example of like somebody who got a lot of attention, but it's nowhere near like when a city gets behind a team. 
So I, I have like for me, I think the hardest part with our sport right now is we're trying to position the sport to build a new audience. The problem is our audience is already watching. You know, we're the hardcore bass fishermen, the tournament bass fishermen watch everything, whether it's MLF, bass, NPFL. We watch it all because that's what we love to do. But it's in my opinion, it's really hard to grow a new audience for people that don't watch fishing that much. And I, I know like MLF will point to their numbers and say, hey, we've been growing a bigger audience. The problem is I don't know that you can grow a big enough audience fast enough to see a, uh, a, a strong enough rise in incomes to really support a tournament trail to like some glorious new level. Like that that's the issue that I'm seeing. And I think a lot of the change that we're seeing in the sport, you know, like I started, it was the FLW tour and then we changed to the pro circuit and now we're changing to the invitational. So there's a lot of change. And I think a lot of that has to do with trying to figure out new ways to appeal to a bigger, wider audience. I just, I just don't see how it's going to happen with this. I mean, you know, we can point the TV and say, yeah, we're going to shoot for having as much TV as possible, mm -hmm. but as far as I'm aware, the, the TV is a dying audience as well. Everyone is going to streaming and, you know, Apple TV and stuff like that. And therefore, there aren't as many viewers on CBS or Fox as, as there used to be. So that's kind of a you're trying to create a new audience on a dying platform as well. That's a great that is a great point, Matt, because I I haven't thought about that. I cannot remember the last time that I just sat down and watched a show a 45 minute an hour long show uh for uh, does bass even do that anymore do they even have like an hour show or is it just the live on uh, fs1 i honestly I can't remember know. the last time that used to be the deal and the thing is matt i can't even watch it because i don't have i don't have cable at my house i have apple tv and i can get most of what i want you know if i want to watch mm -hmm. movies i can get netflix and all that but so I'm I'm as much as I would watch those shows, I'm I'm not even one that would fall into the audience that would watch it because I don't get those channels. Neither am so, I. Because when if it's on FS one, I have to watch the yeah. live mix. So because I do just, the same I, thing. I do the Hulu yeah. and Yep. So yeah. it's hard it's hard to generate new fans and create that audience. You know, MLF's always been we need to create more views. The more views we get, the more sponsor dollars we can get. But you're you're trying to create a new audience in a dying platform as it is. I, I just see a lot of hurdles. Like I said, in my 12 years, it's been uh, a very it's been frustrating because I want to start the year excited. You know, yeah. I want to be like, man, there's these new prizes this year. The payouts are pumped up. And every year it's like, well, I'm paying more to play for less. Yeah. And it's becoming harder and harder. I think you saw that a little bit in the in the Toyotas last year, the last couple of years when they announced the crate the reduction in entry fees, the mm -hmm. uh, crazy payout at the championship, and I think you saw a lot of people flock to the Toyotas because they were excited about what that it was. Hey, you pay less and get more, in yep. one of the rare side, and you were seeing two hundred fifty or three hundred boats right off the hopper in a lot of those. Uh, prominent area Toyota series. I think that was a result of of positivity of of listening to the anglers more. Yeah, I I think that's a uh I think there's I mean, we need more of that is what it comes down yeah. to. We need more of that at all levels. So I I started out by talking about the changes on it and it's interesting you think those changes are more are or don't think those changes are driven 
by business decisions for bottom line dollars because i mean mlf bass mpfl for-profit organizations they're not like non-profit organizations they're there to make money you think that's what those decisions are made of more so than listening to what the anglers want and the anglers well-being because it also seems like over the past four or five years there's been a emphasis behind the scenes at the professional level of hey listening to the anglers but i also think some of that might be out of a necessity of having to listen to the anglers because their hand has been forced yeah it's it's a little of both i mean there's there there's a lot of emphasis on what's the angler input, but the reality is they're running a for-profit business. And if it, they give us the changes that don't affect the bottom line, let's put it that way. So if there's say a rule change or something that we want or increase off limits, things like that, we, we have a good argument on, but when it comes to the bottom line adjustments, we really have had very little say in that. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that we necessarily should, it's their business. I'm running a business. I have the right mm-hmm. to choose the fish or not fish. But what we need to find is common ground where both businesses can work together and thrive together. That's a and we don't delicate. Have that right and it's a delicate balance. Yeah. Because on the other hand, then I don't know if I've ever explicitly stated this, but in order to 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 create the change, I think you have to have everybody on, on board with it, right? To where they're like, hey, we you have to force it. Hey, we have to do this. Like I said, we saw the changes that Bass made when MLF was formed and the BPT, and they were like, yeah. hey, all this stuff, we're seeing it in the golf world right now with Live yeah. Golf or the PGA. Like none of this stuff of the PGA would have been happening without Live, just broad examples that force it. But then on, on the other hand, at the top level, you have the most influential anglers in the industry who are thriving, who are making money, who are fine with it. And there's really no incentive for them. You know, they've worked their butts off. They've gotten there. They've won. They've got it. They've got the sponsorship. They're making the money. There's no incentive for them to scale back and force the change with the rest of the anglers in the field because they've reached the pinnacle and earned that yeah. right to be up there is that a fair you see what i'm saying there yeah i you know i i think there's there's a couple of things i mean you're if you're talking about bass bass doesn't necessarily have the owner or the angler ownership with mlf they've got the angler ownership yeah. and and there's definitely a lot of decisions that are made to uh support the anglers that have that are in the bpt and a lot of those anglers are owners a lot of them uh, have earned the right to be there. Every one of them has earned the right to be there. And I think the question comes down to if if the anglers that are not there, anglers like myself who are fishing the old pro circuit or the Toyotas or even the Opens, there's a lot of us that are really hungry to get to the next level. And when you continue to change the rules and make it harder to get to the next level, you know, at some point, I don't want to chase the carrot that's in front of my face. Or I'll go chase a different carrot, right? So mm-hmm. there needs there there needs to be some recognition that hey, if you guys want to protect the anglers at the top level of, of say BPT, that's great. You can do that, but you need to recognize that you're also potentially hurting your future by not bringing in some fresh faces, some some people that have brand as well. I mean, it was it was made very clear to us by. MLF brass over the last couple of years that they will do everything they can to protect the anglers with the strongest brand. Well, there's a lot of anglers outside of BPT that have pretty strong brands that I think could bring value. And if you're shunning them, they'll take the value somewhere else. So, you know, you need to find a good ground that 
invites the anglers to want to fish to make it to BPT. And, you know, with the changes they've had, I don't, I don't know what the, what the overall feel is, you know, other than it's pretty negative so far, but, you know, give it another couple of weeks and maybe it'll kind of that sour taste will kind of dissipate. All right. You're a business guy. We've talked about that, especially the first time you were on about, uh, about, your background, numbers, money, don't do things that don't make sense. You chase the carrot as long as as long as it makes financial sense, right? Yep. Yep. Let's get into some of these changes. And I talked about it in a in a show last week where I just went over the the nuts and bolts, objectively, some of the some of the changes. Uh I would say the most notable uh the most notable change or the one that's the most glaring for the invitationals in twenty twenty three is the elimination of the former FLW championship or Forestwood yeah. cup or MLF title, whatever you want to call it. Uh, things been around for almost 30 years, uh, rich history in it. Uh, I think thrift won the last one before it changed to the title. And then we've seen, you know, uh, Spencer Shuffield just won the title as Jimmy Washam yeah. the year before that. Well, uh, going into 2023, that's gone. Uh, there is no automatic payout for $10,000. I believe 48 anglers made it. Uh, to the title the last couple years it was it was the reward for the hard work it was basically your Bassmaster classic for the for the FLW tour MLF pro circuit uh, the winner of each event in 2023 will now go directly to Redcrest $300,000 guaranteed payout great event there but that's only six anglers plus the angler of the year so seven anglers out of the 150 field now get to move on to a championship event the rest six events and you're done uh, as a as an angler who has made seven of these uh, of these titles and earned over sixty thousand over seventy thousand dollars, hell, you made a hundred thousand dollars just in the titles alone. Uh, it's at the end of the year in oh. the summer, great boost. How big is that elimination for you, and how much does that hurt you as an angler not to have that to look forward to or to strive to in twenty twenty three? I mean, it's the biggest change they could make, in my opinion. I mean, that's that single event. I think if you talk to anglers in any of the so-called professional level circuits, that event is kind of your make and break for the year. You know, if you if you qualify for that, you've probably had a decent year. But therefore, you know, then you've got an additional minimum ten thousand dollars thrown on your plate with very little expenses because there's no entry fees. So that I mean, that's the biggest change that they could make in my opinion, because now all of a sudden it turns us into a true qualification league where you're not fishing, you're not fishing for anything. And it's going to change for the anglers that choose to still fish. They're going to, it's going to change your process a little bit, right? You're no, you're no longer going to make that change, you know, that adjustment maybe at the end of the day to try to secure a limit just to save some points you're fishing. There's you're only fishing to win these events. And there's there's nothing more to them at that point. So it's That's a great point. I mean, as, as an example, to lay out the stats here, I mean, they so it's five thousand dollar entry fees, six events. You're looking at thirty thousand dollars in entry fees with the way costs are right now with lodging and gas and, you know, a few other basic necessity expenses like fishing licenses and maybe a little bit of tackle. You're looking at close to $2,000 a tournament in expenses. So $4,200 or $42,000 to fish six events. Well, with the change in payouts as well, uh, you know, if, if you cash uh, six top 50s 
and get an $8,000 check, you've cleared $48,000 in winnings. If you have from 31st to 50th, mm-hmm. which are great finishes. I mean, that's a really good finish. But at that point, you're basically fishing to break even. So, you know, the reality is you're going to need you're going to need to cash in every event to make any money fishing without a championship. And, you know, at that level and the caliber of fishermen that are fishing, yeah. it's a, it's a difficult thing to do. I think something like 6% of guys cash in every event or less than that. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, I mean, if, you, if you go back and look last year, I want to say there were 30 anglers. I could have my number wrong, but it was roughly 30 anglers that cat that won 50,000 or more last year including the championship in the pro circuit so that means there were roughly 130 guys that probably broke even or lost money fishing mm-hmm. and that's it's, inter- it's interesting you mentioned that it changes the way you fish because it is uh you cover this in the whole second half of the season it's so and so needs two strong finishes to make uh to make the title or to make the classic or you go into the final day uh and you guys do completely build their season around depending on how important it is to them but you know a lot of the guys build their season around making sure the they are in that title event you're a great example of this uh he finished 73rd this year uh which is uh uncharacteristic for for you you mean you've you've had uh, ego of the year finishes a 30th 11th 41st 27th 30th going forward but still Every day this year, you caught a limit. You go back to your 2021 season, you're 25 days in a row catching a five-bass limit out of 25 days that you could that you could be on the water. Now, that does you a lot of good. Like I said, it, it you've made $78,000 in the title events over it because you, you catch that limit. Yeah. You give yourself an opportunity. And even in those titles in the Forest Wood Cups, you've had a lot of top 15 finishes to where something little bit goes right and it's a career-changing event. That's all out the window now. Like now that yeah. that limit doesn't do you much good anymore. Yeah, it it really doesn't. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're you're chasing you're either fishing to win the event to make the red crest or you want to be in the top 8 to qualify to move up to BPT, but you know, that the being in the top 8 is similar to trying to go through the opens to make the elites. You got to have a killer season. Like mm-hmm. you 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 can't have one of those I'm just going to try to save my event and salvage a limit. You know, you, you gotta, you're going to have to have, I don't, I don't know, six top thirties, six top forties for sure with nothing below that to, to make the, the top eight. Uh, and that's not to say, I mean, you know, and then they mix in the BPT anglers can still come and fish. And if they end up having a good year and coming in the top eight, there's one less spot that, that could get rolled down on. So mm-hmm. And maybe I'm wrong in that. I don't know if they've said whether if a BPT angler takes the top one of the top eight spots, if they'll roll down to the next. They haven't my, before the last couple years. My assumption is they won't because they've never done it before. Uh, but yeah, it. I mean, it's it's it changes things. I mean, like you said, I've always been a very consistent angler, and, and one of the things that after my first three years on tour, I sat down, went through the stats, and looked at what I did wrong because I finished in the middle of the pack my first three years and. I, all I needed to do was secure a limit with the smallest size fish. Any of the days I did not catch a limit and I would have been right at the force would cut cutoff line for that. So since then I've always kind of recognized the importance of trying to secure a limit. And then th- this year we ended up just fishing unbelievable fisheries where it's hard not to catch a limit, I guess. But generally speaking, if you catch a limit every, every tournament day that you fish, you're going to make the championship. And in this case, I don't know if 
if I'll need to change my fishing style to fish, you know, to really swing for the fence, so to say, or, or what, but there was really no reason to fish for points at this point. Yeah. Um, let's go through the payout a little bit too, because this is, uh, an interesting thing and it's interesting. Some, some of the guys at the top, I know, like, you know, a check is a bonus to them. They give it to their wives and it, you know, they fish there and it is, but for meat and potatoes for the, the, the guys who make a living at this, who have a family, they get the sponsorship that maybe covers their expenses, but then their profit is in those $10,000 checks or even those $5,000 checks. Because I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, you, know, you finish 75th, you get a $5,000 check, you don't even make your money back. But if you have your expenses covered and you have sponsors that cover your entry fees and you've got forty-five, dollars $50,000 in sponsorship and you bust your tail, that five grand, that's like all your expenses for two months. That's big. Yeah. That is that is not just, oh, I got part of my entry fee back. That's profit for you, for a number of yeah. those guys that are out there that have been around a long time. I want to take your 2022 season, and this is a perfect example of it. You did, uh, did $20,000 uh, this year. Uh, you yeah, cashed baby. a 45th place, $10,000 check, but then you also had a, a 73rd at Pickwick and a 59th at, at Champlain. Narrowly missed it at Gunnersville with a 78th, but $20,000. Under the new payout structure, same field size, you'd have done $8,000 this year. Yeah. You would have yeah, cashed I mean, one $8,000 check. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, you know, I look at the year and it's so funny, you know, that, that was a year... This year, I felt like I fished better than I have ever at the professional level from a decision-making standpoint and the results just don't show it because of some lost fish and just, I didn't get the big bite in a lot of instances, but like the thing is there were two fish that I lost that had I caught them, I would have qualified for the championship and I would have won more money in those events. So I want to get into that like, in the next segment. That's the next okay. segment. We got to save okay, that because I'm all about all, good fish stories. Well, all I'm saying in this case though, is that's how close I am to, or I was to cashing, to having a decent year, but with the new format, I don't know that either of those fish would even mattered that much because there's no championship I would have qualified for. And yeah, maybe I would have bumped up and cashed an $8,000 check in, in one of them. But in the other one, I already cashed the $5,000 check. So it wouldn't have done me that much, much difference, but that that's how our sport is already so uh, narrowly defined by your successes and failures that you know, anytime there's a little bit of money taken off the plate. And in this case, it's a lot of money. I mean, we're fishing for almost an 80% payback at this point. So, you know, for them to take 80% or 20% of my $30,000 is I'm, I'm paying a $6,000 membership to fish with them. Like that's a pretty hefty fee. So when you take that away and my tournament performance is, you know, if, it, if you have a bad event, you're really walking away sour after these. Yeah, it was last year, uh, almost uh, a little over $6 million in the pot for the six events. Uh, granted, there was an $833 uh, increase. There's $5,833, but they paid back a million per event. They're paying back a, uh, three quarters of a million per, or there's three quarters of a million entry fees going into 2023. They're paying back 650000 uh, And then if you've got a Phoenix, you're golden. If you win an event, you still get the hundred and fifteen thousand, but it's like only eighty thousand if you don't run a Phoenix for the yep. win. So they also chop some of the win. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a it's, a, it's very it, interesting. It, you know, I, I recognize that they're making changes based on their business model, but 
at some point, you know, I personally, like, I almost feel like it would have been a better business decision. And maybe they discussed this just to take the additional resources that were put into the pro circuit, roll them into the Toyotas, make the Toyotas a super, just a killer circuit, right? Where maybe they Mm -hmm. have good payouts for AOI. Maybe they pump up their already great $200,000 championship. You pull your BPT anglers from there. And that's that sucks for guys like me who might then have to drop down to the Toyotas. But uh, it's one of those things where right now the Toyotas might actually be a better option to begin with because you're fishing for more with a championship and you're you're fishing with a lot less risk on the plate in terms of the entry fees. Yeah, the invitationals are pro circuit. It's kind of stuck in this weird no man's land right now, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, that's another another concern is we've seen it kind of slowly washing away the last couple of years. And the reality of it is, I don't know that it's going to be there in another year or two years. So if you decide to fish, are you just kind of waiting for the in- inevitable? And I think that's a realistic possibility. You know, when when MLF bought FLW, it was uh, rumored that they wanted to get rid of the pro circuit or the tour at that point to begin with. And and there was sponsor dollars that were brought in that kind of convinced them to keep us around. So then they rebranded us as the best five fish circuit, you know, and tried to push that. And that hasn't seemed to go over well. So common sense tells me they're going to revert back to what was rumored to originally have been the case, which was to get rid of the FLW tour slash pro circuit. So I, I think it's only coming. I think it's only a matter of time at this point, you know, they've, they've told us it's not been profitable. And in this case, we're picking up the difference to make it profitable. And, you know, I don't know how the anglers are going to continue to want to support them. It's interesting stuff, Matt. Uh, all right, let's get into some fun stuff. Maybe some, and now maybe not fun. Let's get into some educational stuff. I always like how you always break things down, some educational stuff. I want to take a break, and when we come back, I want to look at your year. I want to look at how you analyze a year. Everybody gets done with their season, whether it's a BFL, whether it's a club tournament. Your goal is to always get better. Your goal is to always start that next year as a better angler than you were the year before. Uh, And I know you've got to be one of those guys as a numbers guy, as an analytic guy who does that. So when you start 2023, you learn from some things in 2022 or – figure out what happened in 2022 to make 2023 better uh let's get into that when we get back it's btl with matt stefan from his immaculately organized tackle room it's not that organized it looks fantastic though i'm always jealous of it i mean look at all those plastics you got all the boxes you got the stuff hanging it's very impressive all right btl We'll be back right after this. Your key to better fishing this season is Elite FS. Now available at a new lower price. Get Elite FS9 today for $9.99. And we'll throw in a CMAP reveal chart. Our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar. From chirp, side scan, and down scan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and CMAP Reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. 
Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. I wear APCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polnick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. Welcome back. BTL with Matt Stefan talking about uh, some changes in the fishing industry. How, okay, take a snapshot right now, Matt, of the landscape of professional bass fishing. Just take everything into account. All tours, payouts, championships, everything that's going on right now. Take that picture, frame it, put it on the wall. In three years... You take the same picture, snapshot of what the industry looks like, tours, everything, and you hang it next to that picture that you took today. Are those photographs recognizable at all? Are they similar at all? Do you think we'll have a totally different looking landscape in three years, three short years? I think I think everything looks the same except for the invitational series are either changed to something else or completely removed. So I don't, I don't see any changes. I don't see any changes for bass really. Uh, I don't see any other true changes within three years for, for MLF other than the removal of, of the invitationals. Does not seem to bode well for the invitationals in the near future. (laughs) Dude, the 12 years I fished the, the, the FLW tour slash pro circuit slash invitationals have always been the ones I feel like it doesn't look good for. What Except would you for consider bass. The- there was one little hiccup for bass, and they're they're back rolling just fine. 
Yeah. What would you say the heyday for FLW was? If you were to pick like a little five-year span, because there it seemed to me like there were some years where, yeah, it wasn't Bass, but dude, they were like rolling over there for yeah. just a number of years. Like it was awesome. Yeah, mid mid two thousands to that mid two thousands range. There were I would say there were like seventy three anglers on the uh, what at the time was the FLW team deals. So they were getting like entry fees and stipends and all kinds of stuff. The they had their opens as well as the regular series events and the opens. I think uh, I think uh, maybe it wasn't the opens. There might have been a different name to it, but there, they had some that were paying like double the payout. So it was two hundred. These are regular season events yeah. that were paying two hundred thousand dollars. Like the last place check was like fifteen thousand. Uh, you know, when I when I talked to some fellow Bridgeford pros who were fishing at that time, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous how good the industry was and. A lot has changed. You know, there's, you don't have back, back then there really were no other outlets for fishing related companies and non-endemics that wanted the market in the fishing industry to do anything other than to look at the tournament world. And nowadays, you know, the, the tournaments are only a small part of marketing plans. There's a lot of other ways companies can go and it's, it's kind of really hurt the tournament world in my opinion. Do you think we'll ever see team deals again like we saw in that heyday like it was also on the bass side too like the crown royal the team crown royals and the and the uh, purelators and you know i know we still have like some team toyota stuff going on and but like those team deals were something crazy you think they were good for the industry do you think they were good for the anglers or do you think it was like a weird period that we'll never go back to that again no, you know, I think it depends on the company. I mean, you know, we Bridgeford Foods, we consider a team. Yeah, you guys have more, one of the f- few teams yeah, too. It's it's but it's not like we're a team where we're out there working together trying to to share, you know, information cuz we're all kind of scattered throughout different circuits to begin with. So it's not really like a team in terms of trying to uh, help each other catch more fish, but it is 100% a team in terms of how do we help Bridgeford do some marketing? With the idea that, you know, if, if we've got uh, more team members out there doing more stuff, there's just going to be more eyeballs on that on that Bridgeford logo, which is going to build the impressions and therefore helps build Bridgeford's brand recognition, which is the whole goal. Mm-hmm. So I do think there's very good potential to see uh, companies try to build around a team of anglers like Bridgeford has, because it's been very, very uh, beneficial to Bridgeford. It's been a great program for them. And I do want to say that we'll see that in the future, but from, from the perspective of like the old team days when, when FLW would have several people on like the Snickers team or, you know, Kellogg's team or whatever it was, you know, at that point, I don't really see that partaking too much, but it would not surprise me at some point if we see uh, a league pop up where you've got kind of what I was saying before, you've got like a, a city team. So you could have the Gunnersville grass slayers and they've got a team of five guys and you've got the Chicago carp carp bashers, you know, and they're <laughs> trapping around and you try they to have that in the kayak. Life. I had a guy from the KFL on, they do that. Really? Well, I, I think you could see potential of that in the bass fishing world where you have like five angler teams from places fishing against other anglers from other cities and have matches that way. I do think that's a possibility. I like that. That's interesting. Do you think that takes hold in the next three years? No. 
No, I, I think it's I think yeah, I think it's potentially out of ways. I, I think the sport right now needs to see a lot of consolidation before we see big growth. I don't I don't think there's enough room to grow you know, when I I'm not even gonna say three leagues, I'm gonna say like six six different leagues. You got the opens, you got the elites, you've got MPFL, you've got the invitationals, BPT and the Toyotas. Those are all bigger circuits that are trying to be promoted as like national level circuits. And I, I just think you're you gotta see consolidation at some point. Dude, I'm not gonna lie. Um I've been surprised at the MPFL. And I did not realize there were that many, uh, that many. I guess I would say anglers willing to to have a five or six thousand dollar entry fee. Um, you know, they had the good first year, but then I think I kind of put a fork in them. But when all that happened with the championship, and then they're like, oh, they're still trying to reorganize. It just didn't look good. And now after this year, it seems like they're back and stronger. They're not dropping guys. They've got a $5,000 entry fee that they've got a hundred and plus guys going. They're going up next year. They just announced a uh, six figure payout for the championship. A lot of interest. It looks like they'll have, I mean, does this surprise you how many guys are out there willing to spend five, $6,000 on an entry fee? I, there's a lot I, I don't know where they come from. Where do all these people come from, show. Matt? Well, the, and, but here, here's the issue I see with this. Like, just because guys are willing to pay the entry fee doesn't necessarily grow the sport, right? Like, the grow to, to grow the sport, we want the best talent possible, in my opinion. And there is so much fantastic talent at the local level and the regional level. And these guys just, they can't afford it. And I don't know how half of us afford it, to be honest, you know, to pay five, $6,000. So just because people are willing to pay five or $6,000 doesn't bring legitimacy to a tournament circuit, in my opinion. Now, I, you know, I've heard MPFL is raising the entry fee to $6,000 next year. Mm-hmm. And their payouts are paying, I think they pay $6,000 to 40th place. And I mean, you're going to have to cash a top 10 in that tournament to to make any money and yes they have a championship so that's a positive but they might have some hurdles with that and you know i think i think uh, mlf took a, a page out of their playbook to be honest with you with respect to the invitationals by making them invitationals they're gonna if they can't fill the field with pro circuit anglers and bpt anglers and toyota series guys they're gonna open it up and fill that field with anybody that wants to put down the money and come and play so you're gonna get a lot of cherry pickers you know, that that would never get the opportunity. They may, you know, just because they have $5,000 sitting around, they'll go, hey, I'm going to go fish that. So to me, that's not a good thing for the sport, but it's a good thing from a business model because it helps them keep their fields full and that helps them make the payouts and get the sponsor dollars and all that. But I, I just, I I really do not feel good about where the stage of the the fishing world is right now from a tournament perspective. I think the fishing industry as a whole is in a fantastic place. But if you're, if you're, I mean, if you're only a tournament fisherman right now and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here as somebody who has been able to kind of make the YouTube thing work over the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. But prior to that, I was pretty much a tournament angler and I'm really, really glad that I've, I've put the effort into trying to grow a YouTube channel because I don't know how just a somebody who's just a tournament angler is going to be able to to make it because every year it just gets tougher and tougher. Yeah, I'm I'm just perusing through angler of the years 
on earn or money earnings for the early two thousands for FLW. Yep. There's like freak show years. There's a couple years where like three or four guys made over three hundred thousand dollars or yeah. a half million dollars. Like I'm looking at two thousand four now and like thirty seventh place was like Chris McCall, sixty four K. Like sixty four, yeah. forty two, thirty three, thirty nine, sixty four. 266,000, 156,000, 519,000, 131,000. Now, granted, they won, but like that's some life changing money. And the entry fees were dramatically less. They were like three grand a pop at that point. Plus, the cup was, I think, a million bucks for a while. I mean, my first. Scott Suggs, Michael Bennett. A million bucks. Yeah. And then it was 500,000. Yeah. And then I think the classic went to 300,000, and then they. And we cut ours to 300 and then we follow it. it Now it's zero. (laughs) Yeah. Now we got none. All right. uh, Let's learn. Let's learn some stuff. Let's use you as a case example to see what we can learn by analyzing our seasons. Uh, End of the year. What do you do at the end of every single year to make sure that you are better the next year than you were at the last cast of the previous year? I mean, I, I definitely look to see where my weaknesses are and what techniques I need to work on. Uh, so there, that's one of the first things I do. I, I always look back at my decision making to see if there were decisions that I made that may have, you know, it's always hard because it's uh, it's hindsight, right? So it's <laughs> you don't know you don't know how it would have played out with a different decision. But the reality is, there's there like I look back at Lake Champlain and. You know, I had a very, very long shot at qualifying for the championship if I had had like a top five in that tournament. And I I love chasing smallmouth, but I I found I spent a good part of practice looking for largemouth because I'm like, in order to really have a shot at winning, I feel like I'm going to need like a six pound largemouth to really pop a big bag. And I I found a couple areas in practice where, I mean, I, I shook off a couple fish that were in that six pound class. You know, I had a bunch that were like, you know, I, I only stuck two and they both were like three and a half. So like really Punching. nice quality fish. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it, that's something I love to do. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can stick a big bag and then I'll revert back potentially the next day to my smallmouth. And I went and I don't know, I don't know what happened. I don't know where they went. I caught, I had two, I spent, I fished till one o'clock. I had two, I only had two bites. And I mean, to get bites was not hard. Like when you found a little group, you could, you get two, three bites out of a small patch. And, you know, we had a little bit of a wind shift and we had uh, sunny conditions, which in practice we had cloudy conditions. And I feel like that definitely had a, had a play on it, which normally you would think the sun would help you, but Champlain's kind of reverse sometimes I found. And the second day, you know, I, I ended up bringing in, so the last couple of hours I went and salvaged my smallmouth. I came in with 14 and a half, which was like a hundredth place. I mean, it was not good. And then the next day I said, screw it. I'm going to go have some fun, chase the smallmouth that I found. And I get to my area and, and there's like four other guys and everyone had 18 to 20 the first day. And, and I, you know, I caught 19 the second day and everyone else in that area caught 18 to 20. And I mean, we all like had, I, I just feel like had I showed up there, fished it, I would have, I would have had a very good tournament. And But did you do anything wrong? No, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think I necessarily did anything wrong other than if I, if I were to go back, what I would change is I would, it was not that hard to catch say 16, 17 pounds mm-hmm. in the area I was in. 
for smallmouth. So had I, I, if I were to change it, what I would do is go catch like that 17 pounds and then say, you know what, I'm going to run to the flipping fish to end the day, which is when that bite should be the strongest anyways. And because they're isolated patches, I wouldn't even need to have hit that many probably to determine if that bite was there. But I'd rather be fishing for that six pound bite knowing I've got check caliber fish in the live well already versus, you know, getting falling behind the eight ball and then you're scrambling and you're not, you know, once I I came out of there with two fish at like one o'clock and I'm like, I better go, I better go looking for smallmouth. And then you start scrambling and you're just not fishing as good as you, you necessarily would. Uh, so that, that was a mistake I had on the year. You know, I, I really feel like as a whole, the year was a good year from a decision standpoint. You know, it, it felt like every time I, I made a, a decision to leave a spot or change a technique, it paid off. The thing is, I just was not catching. It, it was like, you know, I may have been catching two pounders. I'm going to make a move and I go catch more two pounders. Like it wasn't like I was, I ever was getting that big bite. And then when I look back at it, the two biggest bites I had all year, one at Rayburn, where I had a decent tournament, and the other was at Pickwick. You know, they were both five, five pound class fish, and I was flipping for both those. I mean, I stuck them, had them all the way to the boat, and they come up and just do a big head shake by the boat, and the hook just pulls out. And in both those instances, they would have cold me up probably close to three and a half pounds somewhere in there, and it would have really wow. moved me up both those standings. So, you know, those two fish and the the wrong decision to chase largemouth at Champlain cost me a whole pile of points. But I mean, that's fishing. That's how it is. I mean, I could have easily gone to Champlain and caught twenty pounds of largemouth, and I would have felt like you know, I uh, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I've been struggling this year with lost fish. You know, the same thing, same setup that I did last year particularly on the spinning rod i'm talking same line same hook same rod i've I've used it for the last three years last two years i stick them i physically remember last year being like i got them i'd hook them they come up and jump and i mean i there was no doubt in my mind i would not lose that fish i lost like two fish last year i've lost like seven or eight this year yeah do you think as an angler when you lose And and then, you know, you complain to other people about it and they're like, I've had those years. I know what you're going through. It'll turn around. How is that even like a thing? Like, how is some like weird cosmic energy thing? Am I doing something different? There's no, it can't just be luck. Like, how does that happen in your opinion? I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for getting in a bad rut that you're not doing anything wrong. It's just a matter of fish were skin hooked and we're able to shake it. But I, I will tell you something that I've always identified. I feel like when you're losing fish, there's times where you start thinking while well, you're fighting the fish, I don't want to lose this fish. 100%. I've thought that every one since the second one. And every time I start thinking that way, I feel like I lose half of those fish. Like meaning like, I don't know if, 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 because I'm recognizing it, there's something I'm doing subconsciously to potentially lose the fish. Uh, but when I've gotten in, in ruts where I've lost a ton of fish and this year, I can't say I've lost a ton of fish. I just didn't have the number of big bites I would normally have. And the two biggest bites I had, I lost. And in both those cases, I mean, I had them to the point where I'm like, Oh, I got these fish. Like, you know, you've played them out, you've brought them all the way to the boat and then they come off. So it's, it's one of those things. I, I do think there is something to be said for, for the mindset where, you know, if you're thinking those negative thoughts while you're but fighting, you can't fish, mentally lose fish, Matt, dude, you can, Hey, I, I truly believe that you can will things that happen in this. You world. think I'm manifesting 
losing fish at the side of the boat because it's not the hook set. I'm not breaking off. I'm not straightening hooks. I'm getting them. They're getting in, and I'm sitting there going, dear God, please just let me get this thing in this time. This is the tournament. I don't want to have to live with this burned into my brain for the rest of the year is what could have been. Like All this is going on in my head. So you think I'm manifesting these fish pulling off? I'm saying I think there is something potentially there where you're doing something subconsciously to lose the fish without even recognizing that you're doing it. Whether it's you're taking tension off the line to go land the fish, there's something there. Let's put it this way. Do you ever think that way in practice or when you're fun fishing? No. And how often do you feel like you lose those fish? I'm always like, you can't. Maybe I should. I'm like, maybe I should just slowly reel in fish in the tournament (laughs) because they're always pegged in the top of the head. Maybe that's something to it. I mean, I, I, I think one mistake a lot of anglers make is they do not use small enough hooks. And I, I truly believe that if you throw, you get more bites with smaller hooks. And as long as you're cognizant of the fact that you've got a light, light wire, small little hook that, you know, you play the fish out and just let them tire themselves out that you will land those fish more than you will with a big hook. Largey, smallies, and spots across the board. Everything. Doesn't matter. Treble hook and flipping hook and weightless plastic hook, like hooks across the board. You would rather go smaller than big. Yeah, you punch you punch smaller hooks in the in the fish or smaller holes in the fish's mouth. And at the same time, if you're throwing like finesse stuff, generally speaking, you're gonna have light, lighter line, lighter rods, and at that point you're putting you're putting enough pressure on the fish to keep the hook pegged, but you're not tearing a big hole in that fish's mouth because you can't get that leverage with that light stuff. Then why does Hackney have a hook that's as big around as my pinky and KVD puts treble hooks on so big that it's like a wobbling must add i i i'm just saying i i think i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just curious because those are two yeah they i mean i'm not saying you're gonna lose fish just because you're using bigger hooks i'm saying i think there's something to be said for people horsing fish in with hooks that are too big losing i see what you're saying and i'm not saying you're doing that i know you're a finesse guy anyway so the likelihood is you're not doing it but i do think that there's things that people can change to help limit the number of fish that they're losing. And, you know, if you're using the wrong equipment and you start thinking about, Hey, I'm Mm -hmm. losing fish, then you're manifesting it at the same time. So I think it's a little bit of everything. I think there's different types of lost fish, Matt. I think there are, uh, the only like just gut wrenching pointless lost fish where you say, I wish it had never happened was in the last 20 minutes of the tournament to where it doesn't affect the rest of your day. But I feel like even lost fish can be beneficial fish throughout the course of the day if you treat it like a game, right? Like it changes the course of your day. It depends on how you look at it. Unfortunately for me, I've had the gut-wrenching, holy cow, it would would have just added five pounds to my bag and I weighed in four for nine instead of five for 13 and I'm in 130th instead of 20th. But uh, I've really also been... I I mean, I think there's something to be said and I think you're really with the mental side and with what we had Katie on before is taking positives and lost fish early in the day and learning from those. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the, the biggest thing to recognize from lost fish is that the majority of them are not angler fault. I mean, there's, you know, you, there, you need a lot of things to go right to land a fish. You need, you need to get the hook penetrated through a good part of the fish's mouth 
you know, you, you need a lot of good things to happen. I mean, there's so many times you lose a fish because they swatted it a crankbait or a topwater and you get one hook in the cheek or something, you know, you barely get them. And it's just a function of the game. I mean, you're going to lose fish. I think the ones you can learn from are the ones where you recognize that you did something wrong. I mean, I see it happen a lot of times on the elite series still with guys who are top level, top level angler fishermen. I mean, in my opinion, you should never land a fish by grabbing the line. You grab the line, you take the lever, you know, you, you take all of that potential play out of the rod and you, you apply straight force to removing that hook out of the fish's mouth. So, you know, I think that's something that can be managed by an angler, but the majority of lost fish, you know, if you're fighting a fish and he comes up and jumps three feet out of the air and he shakes the hooks out, I mean, what are you going to do, right? There's not much you could do to maybe try to prevent him from jumping. Why do you think it is that there are some guys who seem to always lose them and some guys who never lose them. At, at least with me, with my guys, I've always, there's always guys that are like, I should never landed that fish. And it's like, you've been saying that for 10 years, dude. And then other guys who you're like, did you really have 19 pounds on or did you just catch seven? And then you go out with them yeah. and you're like, holy cow, this guy manifests lost fish. Have you noticed that too? There's some guys that are just prone yeah. to it. <laughs> there's some guys out there that, I, I think it has more to do with the anglers just really like you to know about their lost fish. You know, I think if you talk to almost every angler at the end of a tournament day, a good portion of them, half the field would be like, yeah, I lost these. Even top level guys. Yeah, Even Michael I mean, I Neal. Think, yeah. I th the thing is, Michael Neal's good enough to generate an, an additional five That's bites for point. every That's lost fish. Point. So he's, he's just moving forward and catching more fish. You know, I, it's part of the game. It's something that happens. And I, I think we dwell on it. I think we dwell on it more from an emotional state uh, where it affects us more than it should in terms of just moving on and recognizing that it was just a fish that jumped and got off and you're doing something right to generate that strike. So go get another one to bite. I believe that at the beginning of every year, the fish gods have you have x number of lost fish doesn't matter whether you're fun fishing pond fishing tournament fishing final day of the championship every year there are there is there are x number of bass that you are going to lose that year agreed it is a finite number there it's not like endless like it you don't know it no one knows it but you are going to lose five six seven fifteen twenty three bass over the course of that year right at the end of the year there's a finite number of bass that you lost so my thought process is, this is how I get over it. Every time I lose one, that adds to the tally. That's one less bass one that less I'm going to lose the rest of the year. So if I have 20 or 15 bass that I'm going to lose over the course of the year, I jump two off in a pond, I jump one off in the Wednesday nighter, and then I lose one with an hour left in the open. Well, now I've only got 14 bass left the entire year, and look how much year I've got ahead of me. That's a lot better <laughs> Yeah, that means you need to fish more tournaments at the end of the year if you've lost a lot of fish in the first part of the year. Exactly. That's how I justify it in my warped sense. <laughs> I mean, I like, hey, it, it, it makes sense to me. I, I'll probably start doing it now. And the problem is I don't know how many I'm starting the year with. Yeah, but you also could be like you could just you could get them all out of the way in the first couple and then be good to go. I just remember talking to a guy like I think Ott on his like rookie year. He won the rookie of the year. He did a. He said he caught like all of his fish less than 12 foot deep except one. And he could not remember losing a fish the entire season. Now you're talking three times, not you're talking over 20 days of competition 
and a meaningful fish. He could not remember losing a single meaningful fish all year. I mean, I, I think that's, that's, I don't know that that's something that Ott did specifically. I think that has more to do with that's, that's what leads to you winning a tournament. That's what leads to people winning angler of the year. You need, you need all of those breaks to go your way. I mean, I, it's St. Lawrence River last year. I finished second to Cody Pike, and I talked to Cody Pike, you know, in the weigh-in line, and I'm like, "So, did you lose any?" And he's like, "No, I never lost one the entire event." And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "I I lost five fish, one fish every day, and two fish one day. That had I landed any of those five fish, I would have won the event." And it's it's just like I don't feel like there's anything I did that that I mean, I was dealing with five pound smallmouth that were just going crazy and you know it, it is what it is but i i just think that's he won the tournament because he fished clean i didn't win because i lost five fish it's good stuff so, there's no right answer Matt, no wrong you got you got to fish clean is what i'm saying stop oh losing it's them. easy to say that the more you say that then i think the more we might have to get Katie back on for the next oh, quarter boy. when you come on for the oh, final boy. quarter. Hopefully that went well with her. I know that she said she had a lot of interest from anglers. And I think she even did like a uh, kind of an anglers only class following oh, that. Cool. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, listened to that, uh, was three months ago. Katie Gruber was a. It helped you with some the mental side of fishing, and she was a meditation coach. Yeah. Med- meditation coach, um, and just kind of some cool off the wall stuff that I like to yeah. talk about and get deep into it. Uh, when we get back, like I said, you did mention your YouTube channel. We're going to take our final break. You do a lot of stuff on tips, tactics. I want you to look back over the year and maybe uh, give us some of the trends that you saw. Any new lures that kind of came to the forefront, anything unique that really caught your mind that you might've used or someone else used, but something that you think might be around in the future they kind of came to the forefront this year. If it's the Carolina rig, I'm kicking you off the show and we're ending it right away. So, all right. I don't even know what that is. Oh, I knew I liked you for a reason. BTO with Matt Stefan. We'll be back right after this. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com. The new Android series is the peak of the Denali lineup and offers the ultimate Denali experience. The Android series features 36-ton multi-directional graphite combined with interlock blank technology for added strength. Each rod is outfitted with royal titanium guides that will not fail. The blank is fitted into an easy-touch, soft-feel EVA foam grip with exposed blank reel seat. This all allows the Android to transmit every movement of your bait and even the most subtle bites. The Android series is the finest rod Denali has ever made and offers an angler the ultimate fishing experience with a limited lifetime warranty. See the full lineup of Android rods at DenaliRods.com. Vibrating jigs are a great choice for any time of year, and the Kamikaze Swim-On is a perfect match for any vibrating jig. Two sizes and the unique tail design gives it a bait fish profile and a great swimming action for realism. There are 17 colors. See them all at BigBiteBaits.com. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat, so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro's coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, 
but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got copper shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got sparkle shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the matte sexy shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that matte sexy shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Combining one of the most popular hook styles with Gamakatsu's beefier Superline offering, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend delivers the strength necessary to target big fish in heavy cover. Well suited for braided line and heavier fluorocarbon, the Gamakatsu Superline Offset Round Bend is built using stronger Superline wire that allows anglers to easily fish a finesse worm around heavy cover. The round bend offers a larger bite area, perfect for any worm presentation, while increasing your hookup ratios. The newly enhanced Z-Bend holds your plastics on the hook longer, reducing the number of pull-offs and reducing damage to plastics. Available in 2-aught, 3-aught, 4-aught, and 5-aught, this is the most durable worm hook designed for heavier lines that hold your bait on longer. Preparation is key to success. And that preparation starts well before you ever hit the water. You're only as strong as your connection to the fish, and your line is that critical connection. Confidence in your line every minute of every day on the water is a necessity, and failure, it's not an option. Sunline makes the fluorocarbon, nylon and braided lines to give you the strength to guarantee your confidence all right wrapping up btl with matt stefan uh noted youtuber but dude you are always on top of everything as far as what's new what's old what's been working the last one that caught my attention on your youtube channel was the micro baits yeah are we headed towards an era of more natural, more micro baits, three to five pound test lines. Is that where we're headed to in the next couple of years, in your opinion, in a lot of situations? Yeah, I do. I think there's a big movement towards small baits, you know, with ultra finesse presentations uh, being something that you may actually start seeing in more tournaments. You know, you've got that whole BFS, which is the bait finesse systems like the really light bait casters that are starting to get a good stronghold in the market but more than anything i think it has to do with pressure i mean there's so much pressure on the waters these days that one of the best ways to get around pressured bodies of water is to use some very small baits and i do think you're seeing that a lot of companies coming out with lots of really small drop shot baits i mean stuff you'd consider crappie baits that you know guys are using now for bass Second place in the opens, and I actually met him. He had no idea what I was saying, but is uh, he finished in the northerns? Is that uh, Koya Fujita? Yep. And um, I was talking to some guys. That dude's like using like three and five pound test yep. and four pound test and long casts and tiny stuff. And like, I mean, absolutely insane what I, he's dude, doing. I get he in dominated. He, he just like rolled in and went on pressured fisheries and caught him at Oneida and caught him at yeah. the Chesapeake. He caught him at the James and he's on the elite series now. I, I will, I will battle until I die that 
the lighter the line, the, the smaller the baits, the lighter the presentation generates more bites. Now, you catch a lot of little fish, but you'll catch those big ones mixed in as well. Anything else that you saw in, in this past year? Uh, I mean, we, we, we made it through the uni rig and all sorts of crazy stuff, but anything else that seemed to be trending in 2022? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's there's two two things that I think you're going to see a lot of for next year. I think one, we're already seeing a big movement towards flat baits. So you know, the Japanese anglers are bringing over a lot of things like this that are meant to be more of your gliding baits. This is a Nori's flip cogill, and there's like the depths bull flat. I mean, big big bluegill style baits, but they're really meant to be uh, like more of a gliding type technique so i think that's something we'll see more of and there's a technique called hover strolling that uh is phenomenal and it's a light finesse presentation and if you stay tuned i mean i might i might be coming out with a little certain something that will uh solve lots of the problems of hover strolling yeah that's a interesting one i think there's been one there's one major tournament last year this year one of the guys was doing it uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, guys up north have been doing for a long time. It's where you take a, a small plastic, you use a 90-degree jig hood, jig head hook and insert it slightly behind the head of the bait and then put a nail weight in the front of the bait, and you get some pretty cool movement out of it. All I've right, done so lots that... of videos on it, but I'm, I'm desi- I've got something designed that will make make that thing be awesome. Okay, you also have a deal on the Depths Bowl, a 17-minute challenge and bait review on the Depths Bowl flat. That is, I was hoping you would mention that because that is the most, we're seeing, uh, I feel like uh, Coda uses that a lot. Like I remember looking at what he used at the James River and I was like, what the heck is that? It's like basically a pancake made out of plastic is what it looks like. Giant. It's It's big and they're fishing it weird too, like like five minutes of cast. And like wacky rigging it, weightless wacky rigging a big a big chunk of plastic. I mean, it's and they're all I'll say like with that. So I had a viewer send me some baits, some some depths bull flats. So I did that video using the baits they sent me, and I, I they sent me five baits. I used all of them up in seventeen minutes, and so like I it was such it was such good action and such fast action that I. I mean, I've ordered a pile more, but I can't even give you a full evaluation because I only used it for 17 minutes. Uh, they're really, out- they're really soft. So, like, I was ripping tails off, and the bait was coming off, and but Alton Junior was using something this year too that was similar to that. That uh, bellows bellows gill yep. is another variation of that. Yep. Just bizarre yep. looking stuff that is commonplace over in Japan right now, yep. but is just outside the realm of comprehension over here yeah it's i i mean there's a lot of crazy stuff coming down the pipeline and and whether it ever goes mainstream or not you'll never know but you know it's hard to beat a wacky rig right like a wacky rig catches fish but i do think there's something to be said for baits and techniques that maybe the fish haven't seen before it's crazy after all this there are still baits and techniques that they haven't seen I guess yeah. they haven't seen them because we haven't thought of them yet. But every every number of years, well, you, something comes down the have pipe. You, have you seen the? There's that hairy dice. Have you seen that? It's a it's a just what? a square with a bunch of tentacles used no. for drop shotting. No, yeah, that's a pretty crazy one. 
Check is it, it that these things work or that these fish will eat anything if you put it in the right area and it's we're way overthinking this? I'm starting to think they'll eat anything if it moves. It's all, all about right, your man. confidence, Matt. All about your confidence. I hear you. Man, we covered a lot during this show. We got the business side. We got a little mental confidence side. We got some bait side in it. Uh, anything else that you want to get in here? Uh, you know, I guess the, the last thing I'd add is I'm, I'm starting to do a bunch of YouTube stuff with fish the moment. We've come up with a new channel where it's a bunch of anglers who are going to be given tips that are regionally based. The channel is called bass fishing declassified, uh, presented by fish the moment. So if angler, if there's viewers out there that want to get a good idea of kind of what's going, what's going on in their region, that would be worth checking out. Cause it's, it's anglers like myself, Miles Berghoff, Kyle Cordiana, uh, Johnny Schultz from Fish the Moment, Randy Blockett's going to be involved. Uh, Jimmy Easterling, who's the editor, is going to be doing some fishing. So we're all located in different parts of the country. In each video, you're going to get kind of a feel for what's going on throughout the country. That's good stuff. I'm looking at it right now. Bass Fishing Declassified. Boy, Johnny has taken that market and just ran with it. It's incredible what he, he does. He, he I love a, having yeah. him on BTO. He's a very intelligent young man, and at the same time, he is truly an excellent fisherman. I've known him since he was like eight. Yeah. He had like the Harry Potter glasses and the Triton jersey. <laughs> he, he probably he probably still has that Triton jersey. We bonded over casting kits. That happened. Casting it kits is. bring together. Matt Stefan, thanks for jumping on. Uh, always informative, always uh, entertaining, and uh I de- informative starts with the knee. Always entertaining, educational, and engaging. There's the three E's. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. All right. Take care. This has been another episode of BTL. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.